0: Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick.
1: While well, Dalton Phillips is the chief executive of the Dublin Airport Authority during a time in which the global aviation sector has witnessed unprecedented levels of turbulence, Dalton, prior to joining the DAA, your previous career, whilst not related to aviation, had taken you all over the world.
0: Morning, Carl. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm Irish, but I've been a nomad. So, uh, to give you some context, I've got three kids. One was born in Brazil, one was born in Germany, and one was born in Canada. Wow! Um, so, I've been in the I've been in retail prior to aviation for 25 years, and I worked for four different companies. I worked for Walmart. Um, I worked for the Westons, who own Brown Thomas here in Ireland, um, and are big retailers in Canada. Uh, and I work for Morrison's uh, in the United Kingdom. So I've been in retail uh, my entire career, uh, but I always wanted to come back to Ireland and I've always loved aviation. I've got a pilot's license. And when the opportunity came up to join DAA, I jumped at it.
1: So what did you learn from your international retail experience that you were able to bring into the DAA?
0: Well, there's two things. So DAA has two businesses. It's got an airports business, so for example, Dublin and Cork here in Ireland, but we also operate airports in 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 Cyprus and um, Saudi Arabia. We're a big investors in Dusseldorf Airport, but we also have a very successful duty free business that operates in 15 different countries. Um, so obviously, the retail side was very transferable. Uh, on the aviation side, in terms of the airports, um, I, I'd like to think that I, I I've, I've brought. Uh, My expertise in operations, because essentially when you're in retail, it's about moving products through a very complex supply chain, Uh, no different in in the aviation sector. And of course, the people management side, Carl, I think is very transferable across many businesses.
1: And of course, any move into a new sector can be challenging. So what particular aspect of the move and that transition from retail into aviation did you personally find challenging?
0: Well, I found it really interesting um, the whole economics in terms of attracting airlines into airports. um, And you're trying to build a business, you're trying to build routes. It's a very competitive market. Uh, We would be competing, Dublin for example, would be competing against all the other major airports across Europe to attract an airline in. So if you're Cathay Pacific and you want to route from Hong Kong into Europe, everybody's trying to attract um, Cathay to fly to to their airport, Copenhagen or Manchester or Dublin. Uh, So I found that very interesting, just understanding that. The other thing that was very interesting is retail is relatively uh, short term. You build a warehouse for the next 10 to 15 years. Um, We're working on our 2050 plans already. So I found that most unusual, but I think now four years into the role, starting to get a grasp of it.
1: You mentioned the importance, of course, of attracting new airlines and routes to the airport itself. Those opportunities, are they usually identified by the airlines, whereby they see an opportunity for a particular route? Or is it the other way around? It's
0: more likely to be the latter and Actually, they have a speed dating uh, event called Routes that happens a couple of times a year, which is where the airlines and the airports get together. And it's literally speed dating. And you move from, from where it, it, one airport meets one airline um, and you kind of move around the room. Um, but it, in some of these big strategic routes, and I'll use China, for example, and, and obviously the impact of the pandemic, pre the pandemic, Um, our business development team has done an extraordinary job in sort of opening up China. Now, actually, they they take a very Team Ireland approach. Uh, We would involve, I know you had uh, the Tornister on recently. uh, On one trip, um, we went out with the Tornister. Um, You might be there with the IDA. You'd be there with the ambassador, speaking to the airlines and talking to them about the opportunity to fly, let's say, from Hong Kong to Dublin or from Beijing to Dublin. Size of the market, the, the 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 traffic flows between the two, the industry, development, etc. Um, but you're very much competing against every other uh, major city, as I said, because an airline has two. It, it's trying to join two points on a map with the ultimate movable asset.
1: On the topic of routes, how much damage was done as a result of the pandemic in terms of frequency to locations across the world and also in terms of connectivity to those particular areas?
0: Well, it's had a devastating blow to Ireland and and we're obviously an island nation and we are utterly dependent on uh, aviation to connect to the rest of the world. So if you take Dublin Airport, for example, it would have connected to 200 cities pre-pandemic um that dropped down to as low as 22 cities last year now we're building back up um, and we're connected back to 130 cities Um, but there's still a long way to go from 130 to 190 so we were reaching out to in countries that's 42 countries down to 11 countries it's going to take time and i use that cafe specific hong kong example Um, that route's gone not sure when when we're going to be able to get that back up. Shanghai, we had just we were just launching Shanghai as the pandemic hit. That's gone. And those sorts of routes, Carl, they really give Ireland a strategic competitive advantage. Uh, a country like Ireland with a direct route into Shanghai. You've got urban areas like Lyon, which is the second largest urban area in France, has no direct connecting traffic to the US. Uh, and there we were getting direct traffic into beijing so uh, a a real concern but look we're going to have to build back and focus on it it's going to take a team ireland approach we're going to need every minister that's got a valid passport on a plane with us going out there uh, shaking things up
1: so dalton that's the impact on connectivity but what about frequency that must have been vastly reduced as a result
0: Oh, totally. And look, you don't have to look far. Just look at London, where you would have had uh, frequency at least every hour, sort of 24, 28 uh, flights a day. Uh, and now um, even Heathrow has got a relatively thin schedule. Um, there is a lot of capacity in the market, though, because the load factors today, Carl, are having dropped down to, to load factors. For, for your listeners who don't know, it's the percentage of people um that are on that flight versus the full capacity of that flight. And obviously that drives the profitability of of the route. Uh, Load factors were down in the 30%. Now they've crept back up to the 70%, which is very encouraging. Uh, But it still means there's quite a lot of capacity. So airlines are going to be cautious, Carl, about putting on more frequency until we see that load factor increase further.
1: In your estimation, how long do you think it will take to recover both the connectivity and the frequency of flights back into Dublin Airport?
0: Well, I would say the following, Carl. I'll give you the short term and the long term. So if we look across Europe, the analysis would suggest that by the end of this year, uh, we'll be back to about 80% uh, of 2019 levels. I'm talking about it's Europe as a whole. So that's really encouraging, so 80%. Uh, of the traffic flows that we had in 2019 by the end of this year. Very encouraging. Um, If you look at the longer term, most commentators feel it's going to take until 2024 uh, to return to 2019 levels. Um, And in terms of frequency and connectivity, I mean, both of those will feed into that but there are going to be marked shifts in how people travel. Now, in Ireland, we are fortunate because 80% of all the traffic in and out of Ireland is what's called VFR, visiting friends and relatives, or leisure, and only 20% is business. So some of the structural shifts that are going on with your listeners, who are who are obviously using video conferencing a lot more now, that's going to play out, but it's only going to be 20% of the traffic flows that will be impacted by that. But it's going to be it's going to be three or four years, Carl, uh, until we're, we're back to pre-pandemic levels.
1: At the onset of the pandemic in March 2020, you quickly set about raising €1 billion in liquidity. How did you raise this amount and how critical was it for the overall survival of the airport?
0: Well, we would have gone to the wall had we not raised it. It's as simple as that. Now, we are state-owned, but to all intents and purposes, I'm having run PLCs uh, prior to... to joining DAA, um, we run this organization as a fully autonomous commercial organization. And that's been the culture of the business through successive uh, leadership teams. Um, So we had to quickly, as I said, fill our boots with cash because we didn't know how bad it was going to be. What we did know is we from basically March 17th last year, we started losing a million euros every single day. So we raised a billion. We went out to the bond market. Uh, we raised 500 million euros, 12-year money at 1.6%. So good, you know, good pricing there. Um, we went to the EIB, took another 350 million. We went to our banks, got another 150 million. But it, it actually, it was it was relatively straightforward raising that amount of money because going into the pandemic, our team um, and our CFO. Uh, had done an absolutely extraordinary job in, in managing our finances. So we went into the pandemic with a very strong balance sheet. Had that not been the case, Carl, we'd have gone to the wall.
1: And of course, having that state support behind the organisation was absolutely fundamental to raising that money, I have no doubt. Now, back to the frequency and bringing back routes, would you like to see government providing financial incentives to airlines to attract them into providing more connectivity?
0: But we lost 300 million euros last year. And I know you said the state's behind us, but we wouldn't see it that way in the sense of we run fully autonomously. We raise money in the debt markets like any other commercial organization. So we're going to have to prime the pump. The question is, where does that support come to? Um, if, you, if you take Dublin Airport, we have arguably the lowest airport charges of any major uh, airport in Europe, so we're the oldie or the little of airport charges. Uh, so we're not in a position to reduce our charges any any further. Um, do the airlines need incentives to get travelling again? They absolutely do. But the whole ecosystem is crying out, and I think uh, government we would obviously welcome support into the sector. We are asking for support into the sector for airlines, ground handlers, airports to start priming the pump again. It's so critical that we get aviation flowing again.
1: And with all restrictions expected to be removed by October 22nd, what are your development plans for the DAA in a post-COVID world?
0: Well, we uh, obviously um, have to plan for the future. And as I said, we're, we're thinking 2050, but we have 2030 is right around the corner. And, and your listeners won't thank us if there are huge capacity constraints um, at the airport in 2026 or 2027. They'll be saying, what are DAA doing all this time? So we have to, on one hand, manage every single cent that goes through our business and, and control our costs. At the other side, we, we need to be aware that aviation does bounce back, and it has through oil crises and ash cloud crises and 9-11, et cetera. So we are very focused on completing the third runway, which is in construction at the moment. It will be the fastest built runway. It started um, in 2019. Uh, It'll be completed by August next year. It'll be the fastest built runway and the the, the most cost efficient runway built in Europe in two decades by far. Um, So once we complete that, Dublin will have three runways um, and that will allow huge uh, capacity uh, to come into it um, so that we can further attract other airlines into Ireland.
1: And I know that you recently said that showing your own vulnerability to staff was an important part of the communication strategy during the pandemic. Provide us with an insight into the importance of that.
0: Well, we employ 8,000 people, 4,000 in Ireland and 4,000 internationally. And we had to say goodbye to a third of our team. Um, So that's hard. Um, uh, Everybody in our team took for, for a year... A wage cut of somewhere between 25% and 45% every single member from the board down. Um, so there was real pain, and there was huge fear and uncertainty uh, within the organisation about what the future was. And in the old days in aviation, you could strut into work anywhere in the aviation sector and say, "Look, I work in the aviation sector. You know, it's only going one way." And suddenly, everybody in the sector. Was, was feeling demonized um, and job losses and and real uncertainty. So we had to be clear with our team exactly what was going on. And and, and we would have communicated, we put a, a daily email out to our team every single day, seven days a week, right through it. We would have had uh, conference calls to our 500 managers, two and three times a week. We would have put, I put a personal video out Every single week and, and continue continues to do that I haven't missed that uh, since the start of the pandemic, and you can't be too corporate in it. you've got to be open because our team are um they you know they don't they don't take nonsense. this is a team who are very passionate about what they do um and and if you're not vulnerable and show you know show your own vulnerabilities, you'll get eaten up
1: and of course d a a is a unionized environment, so how much support did you get from the unions during that process?
0: Look, our union partners are key to us and um, having worked in so many different countries um, and, and many years in Germany, I'm very familiar with the partnership that you can have with the unions. And uh, we were very transparent with our unions uh, exactly about the situation we've been in. And now, fortunately, prior to this, we, we'd been really working on developing that two-way partnership with our union partners. Um, we had to change the methods and how we work. Well, we had to let a lot of people go, and we had to change how we work in our operation. And we we sat down with our unions, and ninety three percent of um, our, our our team members voted for the the changes that we wanted to introduce, which w- would allow people to leave the business, but would also um, build, you know, give us a platform to build going forward in terms of new work procedures and so we couldn't have got through this without the union
1: and alton as you say you had to leave a third year workforce go because of the pandemic so how straightforward the process is it going to be to ramp back up to meet that increasing demand as time goes on
0: well look that's the six million dollar question carl because i don't know what my forecast is going to be so i don't know what the traffic's going to be and um we 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 started seeing traffic increase from the nineteenth of July when restrictions were dropped. The team did an outstanding job getting the business ready. I'm talking about all our airports, um, all our retail locations, but it, it, it hasn't it hasn't been without its challenges, um, and and we've had some difficult days, and we have disappointed uh, some customers, um, you know, at, at, on certain times because. The ramp up is we're we're working our way through that. People are presenting earlier. um, uh, Traffic flows are different days. Sunday's now become a critical day. It hadn't been before. So there is uncertainty. And then, of course, you can't just go out and hire people again um, because you're you're not sure what the traffic flows are going to be, and that creates uncertainty. At the same time, we don't want to let passengers down. So... We're just working our way through that. And I think that's going to be the same for so many different businesses in the service sector, Carl, as they find their feet.
1: I suppose the solution to that really is your partnership with the airlines to be able to share as much information and data as possible so that you can predict a few weeks or a few months ahead in terms of what the passenger flows are going to be through the airports.
0: Oh, look, and we're fully aligned with that. And actually, what surprised me, you asked me earlier about um, my time in retail and then coming over to, to the airlines. Or to aviation, in, in retail you would have shared everything with your supplier. So you, as a retailer, you'd have sat down with Procter and Gamble or Unilever or Coca-Cola, and there would have just been absolute transparency of information because all that mattered was getting the right product on the right shelf at the right time. I hadn't found that when I came into the aviation sector. There was um, there is still quite a lot of mistrust between different players. I'm not talking about and you know in ireland between ireland you know between daa and and the airlines here, i'm talking about in general so we've been working on that and actually we're very aligned if you take our two largest uh, partners here ryanair and Aer Lingus, there's been very good supply of information to a because they can absolutely help us and we can help them as we share information and i think it's going to be something you're going to see more and more as the industry evolves and figures out it's got to work closer and in tandem with its its partners to get through this.
1: Well, if you've just tuned in, that was Dalton Phillips, the Chief Executive of the Dublin Airport Authority and I'd like to thank Dalton for sharing a fascinating insight into the aviation sector with us this morning. Southeast
0: Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick.